Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, it's really, really simple. Either me, the guest, or both of us are experiencing something for the first time, usually a movie. We're going to talk about it. Today is no different. My guest today is a musician, a candy connoisseur, a comedian, and the co-host of the Empty Parlor Podcast. Welcome, Matt Lamb, to the show. Hello. How's it going, Matt? I'm doing pretty well. I cannot complain. So I guess I should go back like way back to the day where um, I saw you as a little kid. I knew you as a little (laughs) kid. And it's sort of funny because um, another guest that I had on Attack of the Killer podcast that we had as a guest um, is right around your age, Bill Wright. And I think he's one of your good friends. And I talked to him a little bit about this because... I grew, we, we all sort of grew up in the same neighborhood. Um, I had my, my best friend, Brett, was over literally across the street from Bill. And I knew Bill from when he was almost like born, when he moved to town. And he had like zero recollection of me, which makes sense because he was a lot younger. And then I, I have so many like memories of you that you probably do not have any recollection of because you were literally a toddler. Yeah. Um, but I, I was, and to let me explain to the audience that I'm not just like hanging out with random toddlers. Um, <laughs> I was good friends with your older brother, Josh. Um, we used to skate and do bad, stupid teenager things a lot, listen to music and skateboard and listen to pop punk and, uh, yeah, get into some trouble. But, um, you were just like a little dude that played Nintendo naked a lot and, uh, <laughs> And then it's like, you know, flash forward years later when I'm in high school and, you know, I, I, your friends sort of uh, go your own ways, but I still kept in, in touch with your brother. And then it's like, you know, after that, it's like social media is born. I'm like, oh, well, I wonder what Matt's been up to. I haven't seen him in, you know, 15 years. It's like, oh, shit, he's doing comedy. He's He, he likes all the stuff that me and Josh liked when we were in high school. It's like, I mean, I guess it makes sense because I have an older brother and I liked a lot of the stuff he did, but it's like... Yep. You know, it's it's funny because it's like you probably don't remember like a single second of me hanging out at your your parents' house when we were kids because uh, you were so tiny. But it's like, you know, I, I can just remember so many stupid little stories about you. I yeah, I vaguely like I have just vague snippets of you. Like for some reason, there's one specific memory in this because my brother was the only person in my house that used our front door. Like everyone else used the back door. I don't know what it was. But my brother liked to go to the front door. And I just remember you walking in and you were wearing like, it was like leopard print or like, oh yeah, some sort of, yeah, just like crazy pants. And I remember like as a kid, like I'd never ever seen like, you know, like all I knew of pants were like jeans. And I see you like wearing leopards in like leopard print pants. And my mind was just like, what is going on? Oh yeah, I was definitely, I, I went through lots of phases. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's where like, you know, me and your brother in middle school did the like Etnies, Jinkos, um, Billabong, Atticus, all the skate stuff, you know, and yeah. then it was like high school. I got more into the weird goth type stuff, I guess, um, and, and dressed pretty wild. And, you know, I don't know if it was a cry for attention or what it was, but um, now it's a weirdo. And I think you're uh, I think your dad, he, he gave it to me pretty heavy, <laughs> but I, I know it was all in uh, good fun and. I literally just saw your parents like last weekend at Menards and your dad still is the same way. Still gives me shit. He's like, Hey, you following me? I'm like, man, I'm an adult now. Stop making fun of me. But it's, I know it's all in good fun. I love seeing your parents around town. They always make sure to stop and talk. And uh, it's just sort of like, 
weird how that you know it's like i remember you as a little kid now you're you're a grown-up doing comedy doing your your shit it's it's just like it's it's just cool to like sort of watch someone literally grow up in front of your eyes yeah i i kind of know what you're like uh so my best friend grew up across the street my friend brett also like weirdly enough my best friend's name was named brett and you know i i literally was remember like his kid like sister being like literally a baby and she just got married like either last year or the year before and like ha- i think she's had a kid and like his younger brother had a kid and it's so weird because i'm just like dude i remember like you being just like a kid and then all of a right. sudden like you're you have a wife and a kid and it's like what is going on but yeah i i it's so funny that you mentioned like uh, like that you know you were into this you know the things that your older brother were into like that's really like i i can't even deny it like because there's no one in the world that's cooler than your older brother when you're a kid so yep so any time that Josh wasn't home, like I would like you know sneak listening to his CDs and stuff because he had the cool. It was you know Blink One Eighty Two and Eminem and like Corn, and I was like this is the coolest stuff. And then he would catch me and get mad because like, you're not supposed to be listening to that. That's bad words. Oh yeah, man. I I mean I I could just like make a whole podcast of memories from like your house. I mean. Uh, that house i'm trying to i don't remember what was it it wasn't on barrett but i remember you guys had uh you always had like two dogs you had a golden retriever and a brown a chocolate lab um just like weird things you know it's like something that sticks in your head like i remember your dogs like why do i remember your dogs i don't know but you know one was like bailey i think and yep uh, don't bell and bailey bell and bailey okay yeah And, and there's the sweetest dogs ever like you know go over to the house and skateboard in the alley with your brother and evan would sit around and watch us and pet your dogs and good times over in, in the neighborhood you know and yeah it's super funny because like i still remember like i only have vague recollections i don't know why i said that word so we recollections but like <laughs> it was like you and I, I do vaguely remember evan and then i think lee i think was his name yep, lee powell yeah, yeah like yeah so just all these people that you ended up like like you and Josh like knew I just kind of like the names for some like no reason should I remember these names but it's they're like stuck in my head they're like formative memories of my brother's friends that I like met maybe like consciously met like three times maybe oh yeah I mean like your parents would load us all into their huge suburban and take us up to Davenport to go to Rampage Skate Park and I remember like one of Josh's birthdays I think we all went to your your dad took us all to Hooters to eat before (laughs) went to the skate park that was like you know probably like the best the highlight you know I mean I I, I peaked there at like 13 you know like (laughs) Hooters followed by the skate park with my friends it doesn't get any better like give me some out and do pizza and I'm in you know (laughs) uh but no it's it's just like cool to see and and it's sort of funny years later like you know I'm down helping at the Capitol Theater and you know we're we're booking stuff and um jeff who does he's an older guy who books all of our our comedy or you know helps book the comedy and he was like you know oh we got you know mark price coming do you know anyone who might want to open for him i'm like uh yeah like my my friend's younger brother josh like a friend of mine now he uh he, he's up in the des moines area doing uh awesome stuff and in, in comedy up there and i could see if he'd be interested and then it's funny because i tell people especially jeff i actually bring this i brought this up just the other day i'm like you know, we, we had a magician at the, at the theater and it sold so well. And he's like, you know, we need to book more magicians. I'm like, well, it wasn't that he's a magician. It was because he's originally from the Keokuk area. So he brought people in that he knows and people are like interested. And I was like, we weren't selling 
any tickets to to Mark Price. He's so funny, but people were hesitant because they weren't sure if he's actually funny or if he's just, you know, living on an old name. And I was like, as soon as we put you on the bill, people were like, oh, I remember Matt. You know, I'm (laughs) curious. I didn't know Matt did comedy. And I swear, like 90 percent of the audience knew you. And I was just like, I don't know if I if I did a good thing or bad thing for you, because I'm like, I know it's nerve wracking to perform in front of family and friends and people who knew you as a kid and don't know you as an adult. I mean, <laughs> and I, they get to see right. just me being the grossest person. <laughs> <laughs> so how, what is that like? I mean, um, what, I, I asked you after the show, I was like, had you performed in front of your parents? Like, oh yeah, I've done that before. But, um, you know, I'm sure there were some faces in the crowd. That, I think that was your only time you've performed in Burlington, right? Yeah, so far. Uh, Burlington just doesn't really, like, I think that like, stand-up has tried to exist in Burlington before, but there just isn't because it's, it's not really near other places is the big thing. And like, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like, cause there's a pretty thriving music scene in like in Des Moines, which is or in Des Moines in, uh, in Burlington, which is cool. And I think that like Burlington is big enough for like one thriving indie art scene. That's like got, cause they've got the Washington and there's really isn't a place like that for comedy. So it's like doing comedy regularly in Burlington just doesn't seem like the easiest right now. No. And uh, we're actually, um, not to get too f- distracted, but we're currently doing a capital campaign at the theater. And the idea is that above, like there's a whole second story of the theater that's not really being utilized right now. It's not, it's unfinished. And we're looking at building a black box theater up there, which would be a smaller space, but it would it'd be a more intimate, smaller space. And I, I've been trying to explain to people like, we're not big and we're not big as like, uh, uh, like Woolies or a big venue where you can have a bigger name comedian, but we're also not small enough to have local comedy showcase because at like at that uh, Mark Price show, we had a good turnout. It was profitable for the theater, but people left thinking it was a flop because, you know, the th- it's a 350 seat theater. It's like, we've asked people before, you know, well, what do you guys want to see? And, and unfortunately our, uh, our clientele, our audience, um, so far has shown us that they really, really want Bob and Tom comedy. And I'm like, it kills me, but it's like, you know, if that pays the bill so I can book some weird ass indie horror movie next month. um, So be it, but it it sometimes hurts my soul to like see 350 seats sell out for a, like a redneck that's making fun of transgender people. And I'm like, this, this guy's literally everything like against everything I believe in. And I don't feel right taking his money, but most of the time they rent the theater itself and sell their own tickets, but it doesn't make yeah. any better. But it's like, man, like Burlington just is not progressive, I guess, enough at times for for what I would really like to bring in. Um, I, I I will say I've seen a lot of uh, sort of older, like, I don't even know what you'd call them, like uh, Tom Green, Polly Shore, that kind of stuff. Uh, Doug Stanhope here in Burlington. And I actually saw Nikki Glazer was here a few years ago. Yeah. I did say, it's also wild that Doug like Stanhope, because Stanhope to me is like, like that's a comics comic. Like that's right. somebody that like comedians, like you hear Stanhope and you're like, oh, but like Stanhope isn't selling out stadiums. It's like he go, like he thrives in these, sm- he, he thrives in small cities. Like he'll go to a dive bar and just absolutely murder and half the people in there won't even know who he is. But every comedian who packed that place is like witnessing like somebody that they worshipped. Like I, I haven't had the pleasure of seeing Stan Hope, but he used to play at the Vaudeville Muse in Des Moines, where mm-hmm. I used to run shows until unfortunately it was uh, a victim of the COVID pandemic. Rest uh, in peace. Vaudeville. Yeah, it's it's wild that place. I mean, I saw like 
bands that I never thought I would see and then also like performed there and it's wild to think to Stanhope like yeah no it's but yeah Bur- I agree Burlington is but it, you're also doing something so crazy cool and that like you're creating a space like you by again against all odds you're creating a space for artists in Burlington which is like incredible yeah, sometimes it feels like, uh, what the fuck am I even trying for? It's like, I could I could just move and not have to fight it, but uh, it's like I'm trying to force a square peg into a circle hole, and, it, you know, sometimes it actually fits, sometimes it doesn't, but, you know, even little successes works, but, uh, you know, it's like we have, I think, like, this guy, Ginger Billy, coming? I don't know who he is, but people are going nuts for it, and I'm like, I guess if this is what you want, but I, 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 I'm always amazed by how um how do i say it nicely like how off people like people just don't understand it at all like their lack of common sense because like we've asked people and they're like i'd really like to see kevin hart i'm like <laughs> if if we had kevin hart at the capitol theater the tickets would have to be 500 dollars each to break even i'm like i don't think you quite understand like the level of 350 seats is a lot for mark price who's used to playing clubs but um 350 seats is nothing for a guy who plays arenas and stadiums. Like we're in that weird middle space. And that's why we're building this black box theater. So we can have like more intimate, smaller shows where a comedian, I mean, it's, it's a daunting stage, you know, it's a huge stage with tons of seats. And if it's probably not fun for a comedian to go up there, even when there's a hundred people, cause it still looks empty, you know? Yeah. It's, it is definitely tough when even like, even when there is like a lot of people, when you see those empty seats, you do start to get in your head a little bit. Cause like, I, I, I definitely remember I was on a, I was on tour sort of, uh, in 2019, I think it was either 2019 or 2018. I can't really remember, but, um, I was on tour and we were performing in Moorhead, Kentucky and it was this giant room. And I think it was like three rows of like one corner of the room was filled. And I was like, man, this is re- like, because it's so loud and echoey because it's a huge room. It's made for everybody to be able to hear you. And, like, I'm telling these jokes to, like, maybe maybe 40 people in a room that seats, like, 400. And I'm just hearing my own voice. I'm like, in a bar, I'd be thrilled if there were 40 people. <laughs> but, right. like, in this huge room, you see 40 people. And you're like, man, I'm not appreciating this 40 people. <laughs> right. And that's where we sort of struggle is, like, you know, 350 seats is a lot for a small to mid tier, but it's not enough for a big one. So finding that, I guess that, that like perfect, you know, spot is that Bob and Tom audience where they hear them every day and people are willing to pay the 20 bucks or whatever to, to come and hear the guy they hear every day on the radio, make whatever racist bullshit he has to say. But, uh, you know, I, I miss like when I went to Western Illinois is like, I saw Bill Burr. I saw Brian Posehn. I saw Anthony Jeselnik. I saw like Bill Burr performed in like the, the student union, like, right next to the burger king like i just grabbed some fucking burger king and sat down and listened to bill burr shoot the shit and it's like people around me weren't even intending to go to the show they were just like i'm trying to study and eat my lunch and this asshole's ranting i'm like you don't understand you're seeing excellence man like bill burr is one of the best of all time and it's it's interesting how it's like only 45 minutes away from burlington but it's a college town so it makes all the difference yeah it's it's so true burlington is well it's because burlington it's burlington's main export is its youth yeah yeah and uh you know it's like trying to make it you know s- still bring in some cool stuff but it's really tough you're, you're doing a good job like but for with like what you have you're you're doing an incredible job actually well i really appreciate it 
And so I guess without going into like a whole life story of Matt Lamb, like <laughs> wh- where was it in between like the little Matt Lamb I knew back then and to like, I mean, there I, I didn't see like the evolution of you from just like my friend's little brother to stand up because I don't think everybody thinks that they can do stand up, but like, or that they are, they're like, oh, I'm funny, I could do it. But like, it takes massive courage to like actually make that step and get up there and actually give it a try yeah so i don't i just i i guess i never like as weird as it sounds i never really had stage fright like it all kind of like not again not in the whole life story but like it really does go back to like i think it was second grade there was a talent show at my like for my elementary school and i just remember thinking like oh i'll, I'll do something like just completely didn't really didn't even like it did like it didn't even register to me that I should be afraid of performing something in front of people. And I did like it's so embarrassing, and I'm glad that it like I'm so glad that I did it in the era that I did it. But like no I did cell some, phones. yeah, like I did some fucking like lip sync. I, I think I might have sang. I I don't know, but like I did some Aaron Carter performance. Like, oh yeah, because I just remember like I was I was like jamming with Aaron Carter, and I just remember like I've always <laughs> I always wanted to perform. Like that was just a a, a goal of mine when I was a kid. Like I just for some reason just knew like oh i i like i want to i want to be on stage i want to do that and then i mean i did band i did choir i did theater like i i started doing theater in like 6th grade i did theater mostly through high school like i just i always loved being on stage and then uh like i and you know and bill wright also like uh he, like we would make like we would try to make funny videos and stuff like i just i always liked you know doing stuff like that and then uh, i had a buddy when i was in college actually mentioned that he had done stand-up because it, it, it weirdly enough it never even registered to me that stand-up was a possibility because it's it's iowa i was like oh stand-up comedy doesn't exist here it's in new york and it's in california and it's not here like it just right. did not even like didn't think twice i mean also like growing up in burlington like didn't really help with the idea of like oh stand-up comedy can exist where you are so my buddy in college was like oh i did an open mic and i was like oh that like that's a thing i didn't realize that that was around here and then I graduated, and I worked for. I had a really weird shift when I first, like got out of college. I think I was working like three o'clock to midnight, so I wasn't ever able to do stand up. So what I did instead was for a year I wrote jokes. Okay. Like I just I was like obsessed with the idea of going on stage. I just I never could because I I was like I was a I was working like when people were doing people stuff. Right. <laughs> so eventually, like that that I uh, went down to like a normal shift. I think I, I it switched to like 8.30 to five. Like it finally became a normal thing. And eventually like one day I was like, I'm just gonna go. Like I'm just gonna find, like I found an open mic and I'm just gonna go. And literally the first open mic that I went to was the last open mic that was happening at that place. They were like, yeah, and now like we don't really, like this place is getting shut down. And I was like, oh, well shit, <laughs> like, what do I do now? <laughs> So then for a while, like, I, I sort of like two or three weeks, there's an open mic in like the back of a Chinese food restaurant. And I was just so obsessed with like, because I, I, I'd written jokes for literally like a year that I, so I had all this material and like, I was so like nervous, even like, even though I knew that I didn't get much stage fright, I was so nervous that I like rapid fired through five minutes of material, just like boom, 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 joke, joke, joke. That like, I, I'd written jokes for like a year and then after like three or four open mics i just had told all of my jokes so fast that i like had told a years of the material in 15 minutes 
Yeah, and you're like, everybody's heard the shit now. Yeah. I have to come up with something new. <laughs> and that's for a while. And for so long, like, when I was first starting out, I just remember being like, I have to write a new five minutes every week. And now, like, I've gotten so lazy that I'm like, people haven't heard this one in a while. So I want to see how this one plays. And just kind of, it's just like practice for me at this point. Because I've, like, it's kind of like, it's like this weird evolution. It's like, you start as this open micer and you're so you're so focused on impressing people and making sure that like the people that you want to see you see you and that and when they do see you that they're impressed and like once you start to get those first few shows and like your name gets out there and then or you could just do what i did and start booking your own shows but i did i never did make the mistake i never booked myself as a headliner that was i never was that arrogant to be like i should be like i knew that i was like i have 10 minutes at best like i should not be running the stage for more than 10 minutes so just for a few years i did that and then now it's like now that I kind of have like made a, you know, not like a big name for myself, but like people around the scene know me that, and I know myself well enough that I can go like, all right, I don't need to constantly be writing new material. Instead, I can work on the stuff that I've done better. So it's just my drive for stand up came from, in a sense, just the, the desire to create. And I, I guess I was like, people always said, told me I was funny. Like I was kind of like, I, I enjoyed making people laugh, like at the expense of myself in a weird sense, you know, just like, uh, it just, I, I was willing to be the butt of the joke, just if it made people happy. And then I was like, Oh, if I'm funny and people think that I'm funny, cause people would be like, like, you know, everybody, not everybody, but like people would tell me, Oh, you're funny. And you just kind of take it with a grain of salt. But then I, like, I started hearing enough times that I was like, am I actually funny? So, you know, years later, now I'm, doing it pretty regularly obviously the quarantine and such has stopped it a little bit but even so like i think i, I just i just did our comedy festival a few months ago yeah i had spencer on here um spencer laux a few months ago oh he's great yeah and talked to him a little bit about it um and how things how, how he fared during uh the sort of complete lockdown that we had, you know, the two weeks that would fix everything to flatten the curve, whatever, uh, that turned into, you know, a year and a half. But, um, it's just like for a medium that really, you know, requires a live audience. It's, I mean, of course we watch specials on Netflix and stuff, but it's not the same for, you know, that's, that's reserved for certain, a certain breed of, you know, a level of comedy. And it's yeah. just, I, he, he mentioned a few times, like trying to do the, the zoom, things and he's like that was not he's like after one i was like yep yeah, not doing that ever again like just not his thing did you ever try any of that i did i think two i think i did one zoom open mic and i was like hate this didn't help at all like yeah, that's exactly what he did yeah and then i got booked on a show like a zoom show and i was like all right like i'll see if i sh like what this is like and same thing. I was like, I appreciate what the person does. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like name names or even genders, just because I don't want to like possibly, right. you know, besmirch anybody. But I was just like, this sucks. Like, I hate. This is not good. And then there, like, I just remember there was one dude who was performing to the Zoom audience the same way that I could tell he performed to like bars. And I was like, this is so odd. It's like it's like watching somebody perform to nobody was just eerie in a sense. Well, I mean half of like half of it's like feeding off the audience energy i mean you sort of get cues as to like what an audience likes they don't yeah. like i mean if something's not working you sort of switch gears it's it's not as easy as like going up standing there and you have these jokes memorized it's about timing i mean you know you, you have to know you know 
when to when to have the punchline, when to wait, you know, how long to wait for the laugh to come back in with with the next saying, how to segue into stuff, and it's like without without the audience feedback, that's really I, I imagine like almost impossible, right? Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, like that's why even in movies and stuff, silences are filled with like white noise and like subtle sound fills or like even music, because like on when you're doing like a live theater performance of an act you still have the audience energy, even if they're not like, like you can, you're feeling something like there's something about people being in the room. So like when you're just alone in your apartment and like you're seeing faces on screen and like you're getting these like weird electronic laughs. I'm like, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's weirdly enough. It almost feels like its own thing. Like it doesn't feel like stand up. It feels like, I don't know. It's, it's because comedy is already performance, but there's something extra performative about like trying to make people on a, screen laugh at you it's super strange well i've i've like sat in on a few what i thought i think actually like sort of worked and maybe it just sort of evolved to this was like if a group of comedians instead of getting on zoom and doing trying to do stand-up it would just be a group of comedians that would get on like discord or they'd get on zoom or whatever and you you could like either get in free or you could you know pay for a ticket and it'd literally sort of be just like a podcast like a video podcast and they just sit around and talk shit and it's like natural because they're not trying to do stand-up and it was like this is sort of interesting like i don't think this will work once you know things get to quote unquote normal but uh you know for now this this to me seems better than like even the concerts like music's the same way it was like i i I bought tickets to a few virtual concerts and some were, were sort of cool um where they tried something different but it's like man it's just not the same as being in the room like watching even watching a concert with a crowd is like a different than watching, you know, a band sitting in a, re- in a rehearsal studio with, you know, a couple cameras set up. Even it, it can sound fantastic, look fantastic, but it's just not the same, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I hadn't seen a band in a while. And then I, I went of all the dumb things I could have done. I went to not fest with like however many thousand people it was. And I, some I somehow managed to not get sick, but I just remember, seeing like all these bands like in a group of people and just being like this is a completely different experience than if i were to like have watched this because i like if i would have watched it live i probably would have just halfway paid attention but when that's what's going on and like that's what you're doing like it makes it's so different because i think when when you're watching stand-up live or you're watching a concert live you're like well there's also other stuff i could be doing like while this is going on but when there's a band on stage you're like nope i like these guys have my attention yeah, one of the last things I did before everything really hit the fan was um, I was actually, I think, at Woolies in Des Moines seeing Murder by Death, a band I've seen probably at least a dozen times, if not more. And uh, it's sort of funny because, like, I remember it, they just kicked off their 20th anniversary tour. It was, like, their second show on that day. And, and people were sort of like, like, things were sort of starting to get sketchy. Like, you know, people are getting a little worried, but it wasn't even to the point where people were masked up or anything yet. And I remember, like, before the show, everybody's just, like, leaning against the, the little round tables and drinking beers and, and talking. And everybody's phone starts going off, and everybody starts sort of talking. And it was like, what's going on? It was like, oh, shit, Tom Hanks has COVID. And it was like, you know, breaking news through this venue. And then it was like, oh, March Madness is canceled the same night. And it was like should we be here? Like, this is, you know, it was like something I'll remember for the rest of my life. It was like, okay, like now it's serious. Like it it seemed like, okay, it'll probably get to Iowa, but it won't be bad. And then it was like, 
okay, like they're canceling national, they're canceling sports. Like this is America. We don't cancel sports. Uh, yeah. and, and Tom Hanks is our, like, uh, like the nation's father and he got it. Like we're totally fucked now. Like, you know, this is, this is real. And, uh, I just was like, damn, like, hopefully this doesn't last too long. And, you know, luckily I've, I've, <laughs> I've been later. Yeah. Two years later, but it's like, you know, it's changed things. I don't know for good or bad, but your, your story about the uh, talent show made me laugh because I think, yeah, Josh played drums and, uh, I was in uh, a, probably a couple different garage bands with him. And I think one year at James Madison middle school, there was a talent show and we had practiced. We were going to play system of a down song, sugar. <laughs> no shit. And, um, we had our singer was from horse man and he was, he had like written permission from his mom to come over and perform with us. And of course the principal pulled us in like maybe the day before day of, I, I, I don't remember. It seemed very dramatic in my memory, but it was probably like not that big of a deal, but they were like, well, we can't we can't have a student from another school in the talent show, and it was their way of saying like we don't want you to play any like politically charged heavy metal. But uh, you know, it was like their their cop out was like, well, he doesn't go to our school, and it's not really fair for the other students to that you, your band mate would be from another school. And we're like, well, he has permission. His mom said he could uh, miss a couple classes and come over, and they're like, no, that's just not allowed. And we never got our our shiny moment, but. Uh, you know, that would, it's like, we were that close in, in like set, sixth, seventh grade or something to, to getting that off the, uh, that, that just would have been either an epic, awesome moment or an epic failure. But, um, <laughs> we practiced that one song over and over and again, I can probably still play it on guitar, but, uh, you know, thinking back then it was like, shit, that probably wasn't a good idea. Like playing system of a down at a middle school talent show, but yeah. And that was when, I mean, it's so wild. Cause all the bands that I really like grew up with are literally just like hand me down CDs from like stuff that you and Josh listened to. Yeah. So it's, 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 I, it's, I don't really like, I, I identify with so many people like in their mid thirties, just like, I have so many comedian friends that are just generally way older than me. Cause I I'm in this like weird middle ground. Cause there's people not really near my age a lot. Like most of my friends are older than me and it's because I think it, like, I think it is, that the pop like the stuff that was popular when i was like a kid was like pop punk but even then like i didn't listen to the pop punk that was born of the pop punk that you guys liked right like i listened to the like what was what would be considered like og like green day and blink 92 and like yeah kids my age did listen to it but i was like real like i watched every like documentary i could find about blink 182 like to this day like i i have the most useless blink 182 knowledge like all this random stuff or like green day or like yeah, I just I my tastes were so shaped, weirdly enough, by you know literally what you guys were into. So no, it's I, wild that like, like like down with or down with, uh, system of a down was like probably that was like they were pretty new probably around when you guys oh, were yeah. in middle school. Yeah, I mean at when we were gonna perform that they only had one album out their self titled oh, album. Shit. So uh, it was like you know I don't remember how we even found this album, but it was I remember bringing it to the James Madison middle school dances and our DJ at the dances because his daughter was in our class was Cosmo Leone, who was the DJ on like the local radio KGRS. And, um, it had a parental advisory on it. And so like the principal pulled me aside and he was like, you can't be bringing these CDs here with a parental advisory. <laughs> and, uh, you could write your requests on like a, a notepad and Cosmo would play them. And I remember he played, uh, sugar and, and we, we started a mosh pit at the dance and got in trouble. And, <laughs> 
so stupid. I had like the worst bowl cut and, you know, Jinko jeans and just, it, I thought I was just the definition of like, uh, awesome. Like so badass. you know, anti-establishment anarchist, just the coolest. And I couldn't have been further from the truth, but, <laughs> but awesome. I, I, I completely get what you're saying because I was born in 85. So technically like technically eighties kid, but you know, more of a nineties kid, but I have an older brother who was born in 80 and, uh, or was it 80? I think around there. And so I grew up listening to like a lot of, a lot of 80 stuff, 80s movies to me. I didn't know they were old. Like we, we had fucking, you know, Goonies and Karate Kid and all that shit on replay all the time. So it's like same way It's like, I grew up with 80 stuff, even though I was technically a nineties kid. And, but I still got a little nineties from my brother too. Uh, a lot of ni- like the West coast versus East coast rap stuff, um, stone temple pilots, Nirvana grunge stuff. Uh, but I also had my own stuff. And then later, you know, it was like, I remember we used to just call it skate music, but it was, it was punk and pop punk and hell yeah. Sort of formed my own thing, but it's completely the same thing. Like my brother influenced me and then, you know, your brother influences you. And it's like now people my age are uh, having kids and I see they're like kids getting into stuff. And it's like, I, I, you know, me and my wife decided before we even got married, like no kids for us. And I think a lot of it's like, I just would feel like so guilty. I, I see and no one in particular, but I see some of my friends that are like, man, like, you know, my kid's really into, you know, Ghostbusters or to, uh, you know, uh, Ninja Turtles or whatever. And it's like, are they into that for real? Or is it just because that's all you're showing them? You know. Is this what you've given them? And because right. kids love things, like that's fun fact about children. Uh, they're just stoked on stuff. Right. They're they're like a sponge, and they just take what you give them. And I think it was Patton Oswalt has a actually has a bit about um, how he didn't listen. He didn't let his kid listen to like the real music. He only let this kid listen to Weird Al. So when they heard the actual songs, they were like, "Oh, they totally ripped off Weird Al." <laughs> that's good yeah and it's like you know he's listening to like michael jackson or he's like wow man like all these people are totally ripping off weird out like what a what a pioneer in the music industry you know that's so funny yeah it's just sort of a fun bit but um no i mean you you sort of have your your hands in a lot of things not just comedy but i know you've done music for a long time i know you you play guitar at least right yeah i i definitely i would consider myself like a campfire guitarist like as long as it's not crazy complex and it's simple chords and stuff i can usually plink along to most stuff but i'm definitely not like i can't do like i can't do like scales or like actually like fingering or like like you know actual like lead guitar stuff but you know i can strum along like i'm, I'm a would be i guess like a rhythm guitarist type person just a, a campfire guitarist no that's exactly what i am too and i took eight years of lessons but it's no like, shit yeah I, I grew up with like you know taking lessons forever and uh it just seemed I've always told people like I feel like there's people who are sort of just born with that talent. I was not. And it's like no matter how hard I tried, I just could not get really good. So I was like, well, this is going to be a hobby. This is not going to you know, it was like I can play metal and, and the easy stuff. Drop D. I mean, that's what my generation was all in drop D. So it was like, <laughs> hell, yeah, you know, easy to play most uh, system of a down stuff for, for talent shows. But it was like, you know, fun garage bands and then eventually i sort of branched off and started liking my own stuff and not a lot of my friends like that so i i stopped doing that but it's like i mean it's interesting because you've used that like in and sort of bridged it into your comedy i've seen you like you know you've done funny songs and played you know you you play guitar on stage from time to time you still do that now oh yeah i so i definitely 
have pretty much limited it to just those two songs because I, I kind of made the executive t- decision where I'm like, I'm not going to be a musical comedian. Yeah. Like, I, I def- it's not that I have a problem with musical comedians. Like, you didn't want to my... be branded as that? Yeah, I, like, because I just, I, I didn't want to be put into that label. Like, I feel like Bo Burnham somehow got lucky in the sense that, like, People, I, I don't know if necessarily people would consider him a musical comedian, even though, like, that's largely his thing. Like, he somehow avoided the, like, the full-on label of it. Like, he is one of my, weirdly enough, like, he's two years older than me, and he's one of my bigger inspirations for comedy. Like, I kind of model my, like, not necessarily that I, you know, I obviously stealing or, like, trying to, like, emulate, but, like, uh, like I would say, like, Bo Burnham and, like, Anthony Jeselnik and, like, Mitch Hedberg are, like, probably three of my biggest, like, influences, and I just sort of... I, I find things in them that I see that they do really well. Like, Jesselnik has this, like, like cocksure, very, like, stand upright and, like, be, like, like own the stage kind of, like, way about him. Like, and also, like, I love his material, too. But, like, his stage presence is what I really studied where I was, like, yeah, I, I just, I love how he kind of, he owns the stage almost like a pacing, like, cat. Like, he's, he's just oh, very, yeah. he's, he's super in control. And, like, I studied that. I was, like, fascinated by that and then Bo Burnham is like able to be self-deprecating without it seeing like pathetic and also like points out a lot of his like insecurities in a creative way again without like being able to express himself without seeming like he's like attention seeking and then Hedberg is just a master of one-liners which I I love one-liners so I kind of looked like looked up to those three people as I like developed myself and now I would consider myself to have sort of my own style like I've got my own stank going about me which is cool to like once it's that's one thing I also really like about being part of a scene is like now I've been in the scene for so long that I see newer people come in and like watching them develop into like what they've got going on because you can like when you see a new person come on the scene you can just like watch their presence and it's like oh they're doing so and so like I can right. see yep. like you can see their influences and they it's not that they're probably even doing it consciously it's just that that's they're repeating kind of the same phrases and they're like a lot of the same like even just the way that they talk like you can tell like oh they like they listen to a lot of jim gaffigan like right and then watching them be like oh like now like once they like break out of the shell of the absolute terror that is your first like 25 open mics and you can start to play around a little bit it's really cool to watch people like do that yeah it's it's interesting. I I mean, we have to pretty much travel around here to see good comedy and unfortunately because of, you know, the ongoing pandemic it's been too long, but it's just, you know, I, I really miss it and um hoping to bring some more of that here to Burlington, but you know, we've gone as far as Chicago for for small little club shows before and uh you know, I've been lucky to see a lot of great comedians come through here and and to me it's like almost maybe just as or or more important to me as as music and it's sort of like to me it blends together now like i've seen musicians on the same stage as i've seen comedians and to me it's just it's it's another almost like another form of music you know comedy it's just like it all blends together for me um and it's and it's sort of interesting like i said how you've have you you've used it but i i can completely understand where you're coming from where you're like i don't want to be just a musical comedian don't put yourself in that corner and and sort of tag yourself as that um but you also segue have a <laughs> podcast yourself the empty parlor podcast yeah. uh I, i've been listening to it this week to sort of get a feel for it and i think it's just easier i, I do this for all my guests who have podcasts it's like i don't need to explain it because it's easier to have the guests so why don't you explain to my listeners what uh, empty parlor is so Empty Parlor 
the general idea is that we wanted to create the like feeling of you're just listening to two dudes who are like at the like it's like bar closed and it's the last people who are still at the bar like 145 just having like profoundly deep conversations for no reason about shit they barely understand and that was kind of the generalist scope that we wanted to go for that's why like we talk a lot about like metaphysics and like theoretical physics and like deep space stuff quantum mechanics like is like we are we super love like weird interesting science but then also we'll have full-on like like just discussions about like the dumbest shit like we created this whole narrative about how Bigfoot got his dick cut off and it got kicked into space and then the aliens <laughs> used it to like recreate a Bigfoot but like only using his dick so it's a completely robot Bigfoot except for his dick like so it's so it's like half like somewhat intelligent conversation mixed with what if Bigfoot's dick got kicked into space <laughs> so that's about the best way I could describe the empty parlor. I think yeah. If I as a as a listener were to describe it, I would just say, um, and it's my favorite kind of show is just like two funny people chatting about nothing, and at times, you know, it's like and not nothing as in like nothing, but it's like oh yeah, no, it's I agree. It's it's like well, I mean, it's it's hard to explain, but it's like some of my favorite podcasts I listen to, like I mentioned earlier, um, off the mic, high and mighty, um, with Gabrus, it's like. I mean, they, they pick a topic, but it's like they talk about that topic for like 10 minutes and the rest of it's just him shooting the shit with his funny friends. And that's to, to me, it's like when people have good chemistry, that's more interesting than, you know, Rogan having some fucking robotic expert on. I'm just like, yeah. I don't need that. You know, I, I'm just and that's that has its market, too. I'm not just bashing that. You know, there's people who love that kind of thing. And sometimes I'm in the mood for that. But, uh, you know, to me, nothing. It, it's like almost everything I have to listen to if it doesn't have a funny sort of twist to it, I have a hard time listening. Like my, my favorite podcast right now I've been listening to is uh Gorley and rust. And uh, it's Paul rust and Matt Gorley, two of my favorite comedians. And they've been going through um, horror franchises. And I'm like, this hits like every fucking button for me. Uh, and they, they've been doing the scream franchise now. And it's like, just having two guys who have great chemistry talking about the screen movies, but they're, but they barely even talk about them. It's, it's mostly the conversation, you know, a starter. And then it, it just goes off on tangents. And it's like, that's sort of what your, your, what empty parlor remind me of, because it's like, you have a title for each episode that you guys <laughs> sort of talk about, but it's mostly just, and like you said, it's like being part of it, sitting in on a conversation, like of being a fly on the wall in a bar where two funny people are just hanging out and, and shooting the shit. Yeah, that was kind of just our, so uh, I used to have a podcast called The Grove, where it was more focused about the like cryptids and like stuff like that. And I had Jeff on as a guest a couple times. And I just remember each, like, I think it was like two or three times. And each of those three times, I remember being like, this is awesome. Like, this dude gets it. Like, he knows how to riff. And over the pandemic, uh, we kind of just kept in touch, like, weirdly enough, like, because I'd only really known him for like a few months or like maybe maybe like eight months tops when I moved to Pittsburgh and we would like shoot the shit on Facebook Messenger or whatever. And eventually he's like, hey, do you want to do you want to do a podcast? And I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, like let's absolutely do a podcast. So we started that up and. Yeah, just. Now that we've done so many like we're on, we just record, like we just released episode 65 yesterday and 
it's so funny kind of listening back to some of our earlier stuff where we're like kind of figuring out our things and now like our half of our podcast is just making each other laugh like we we're not even like we're not at all concerned with because we're like pretty sure that no one actually like you're probably one of the few people that has acknowledged that they listen to it so half the time it's just me and jeff like trying to say the most outrageous shit to get each other to laugh which i guess in a sense it definitely i feel like it is it translates to being entertaining because if because if, if we were you're trying to be funny for like for the purpose of other people i feel like it wouldn't be as natural right i mean when i started this it was just sort of like well i'm locked in the house um i can't see a lot of my friends and a lot of my friends you know it takes significant travel time to see them they've moved or they live somewhere else so it's like what if i just did this podcast um and what do i what do me and my friends like talking about movies and tv so why don't we just do a thing i have an excuse now to like get them away from their families for an hour to chat yeah. and bullshit with me and uh you know and I, i'm uh not the most social person so it's like doing it in a format where it's like oh i'm it's a podcast and now it's like you know forcing people to talk to me but it's it's you know over time i listen to some of my older ones and i'm like oh cringe city but um and, and you know i'm still learning every time it's and but it's like i don't know it's uh something good about you know just getting people together and and just shooting the shit man absolutely you know, it, it's a yeah, lot of I, fun i listened to your one on scream and i was really i was definitely i was actually like i was planning on asking your opinion about the new screen movie because I, I i just i assumed that you were going to see it and then i saw you post that episode and i was like oh cool i'll just listen to this because i know that you're going to talk about it and yeah i i, I feel like your opinion definitely reflects uh, like it, it, almost exactly what i figured that you would have felt about it because i feel like scream was much more of your era than mine like i have a deep yep. appreciation for scream don't get me wrong but like because I, I like I think that by that I mean like I really enjoyed the new screen, but that's because like I don't feel like it meant as much to me as it did to you. Right. Like I just liked it because I was like, oh, like because I felt like it was a good homage, but then like you hit on a lot of points where it was basically saying like it almost felt like too like self-referential, and I could absolutely agree with that. Like when you like when you pointed it out, I was like, yeah, you know what? They did kind of re- like like with her last name being Carpenter and the kid's name being Wes, like. I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely is like it's pointing out a lot of issues that a lot of horror movies themselves now. Like, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell if it was self-referential or like just blind to the fact that it's not like because it was trying so hard to make fun of other horror stuff. But right. Kind of like fell short with some of its own things. But yeah. I, I I appreciated it. I definitely was. I we had the same predictions, though. I was like, I knew it was going to be her friend. And then also. uh I thought it was, I knew that was going to be the boyfriend, but I thought that maybe they were going to go for three and have Tara be involved, but I was wrong. So I was two for three on it. Yeah, they still haven't gone for that, but I mean, I think we're going to get, with, with the box office, we're going to get more. So yeah. eventually they'll have to do like the three killers if they want to step it up. I did have, I did, my friend did post it or did like propose a theory to me that there were three in the, in this new scream because Tara was super small and like she didn't like, because it would have had to have been, or not Tara, uh, What's her face? It was a notably. Sam? Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, she was. She was notably short, and she didn't seem that short. When I hope this isn't total spoilers for anybody, but uh, she was no, like she didn't seem that short when she gutted Dewey. So I'm wondering if it, there might have been a right. third shown. Well, I think um, that is sort of consistent with even four. Is the same way. It's like I think sometimes they overlook the idea that like. 
ghost face whoever the actor is actually under the suit it's like that could not possibly like a like in four spoiler if you've somehow not we we already spoiled five so (laughs) fuck it but um you know when it's uh emma roberts it's like literally any and this is not a sexist thing but literally like any male i mean she's like she's like 80 pounds she's tiny there's no way she could actually be ghostface and overpower a single person like unless it's a child so you have to i guess suspend your belief in in that case you know there's there's a lot of uh, plot holes when you start thinking logically about yeah. how some of these could be ghostface but i think that's sort of the crutch in this that you your mind knows like oh there's no way these the like subconsciously you don't realize oh they could never be ghostface they could never be a slasher and then when it happens it's surprising you sort of forget like all the plot holes until you start <laughs> thinking too deep into horror movies and i i'm an idiot so i always like I, i'm always surprised by it. i love that i'm i'm usually ignorant to this like blake and, and gary were both like oh i suspected this this and this and my mind's too dumb i'm just like you know bright lights pretty people on the screen like i don't i don't know my i, I never actually guess what's going to happen in movies so um my own stupidity is is great when it comes to films now i i I kind of get that because I like I, I like you. I'm a huge horror buff. Like that's like I'll sit around and watch like I'll re I'll rewatch horror movies just for like just to see what I've missed and other stuff like like my favorite horror movie of all time, Blair Witch Project. Like and every time I watch it, I notice like one weird small detail that I didn't notice before that like it's so like there's so much intention in what they did that I don't like it. It goes over your head. Yeah, it's it's wild to me because like found footage is now such a like it's almost like it was already like becoming hokey like around like because paranormal activity like really blasted it like that genre into popularity and then it kind of got hokey. So now people like look at Blair Witch through the same lens of like, oh, found footage is hokey. But it's like now like there were so few like it wasn't the first i there was um i can never remember what it's called but there was like this bbc movie yeah back in ghost the, watch i think yeah yeah that like i watched that and i was like that's this was, awesome yeah, yeah so it cool was so yeah and people were like like people lost their whole mind about that movie yeah yeah and and i mean it, they've done it you know there's it's, it comes in waves just like anything um you know scream sort of brought back that slasher wave and and Blair Witch had the found footage wave and it went back down. They came back with paranormal activity and went down and it could come back anytime. And, uh, you know, you just got to like let things, they hit their all time low with like, you know, when, with cash grabs, people yep. will go out and just try to, you know, exploit it. And there's just, it saturates the market. So people have to, it stops being popular like zombies right now. Um, you know, we'll take a quick break from zombies and they'll be cool again in five years when someone, you know, comes back with something new for another generation. But, uh, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned Blair Witch because that's what we had Bill on Attack the Killer podcast. We <laughs> did we did all three Blair Witch movies, and uh, that was my first time seeing the second one. And uh, Bill created his own little Blair Witch movie yeah. that was so cool. And so I was like, oh, I got to get him on. But I had no idea that's that was your favorite too. But I guess, uh, I mean, no, it, it's still like that was like that was another '90s thing. That was like me and Josh's generation. So you know, was that something you saw through him or just something you discovered yes. later? So I think. Man, uh, I think he rented it or like either you lent it to him, but somehow we had a copy at the house. And I remember I wanted to watch it. My mom was like, no, you're not supposed to watch it. <laughs> and I snuck downstairs after everyone went to bed and I watched Blair Witch Project alone in the dark. And, my, and I was like, 
I not the way to, to watch it, man. No, especially like at that age. I, right. But like, I think I just because I was I I was like I was a kid who was afraid of the dark. Like I hate like I had to sleep with a lamp on. But like I was fascinated by ghosts. Like even then, like, and so I think that I like used that like fear I had of the darkness and then become like I got obsessed with scary stuff to kind of like make it be cool. So mm-hmm. I just became obsessed with horror movies. Like I remember the first horror movie that I was allowed to rent was Poltergeist. And that's a scarring I, one, man. That one's yeah. still scary. When he tears his face off, it's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> holy shit. But the like, clown, yeah, there's all kinds of shit. That's it. Fantastic. And it's, it's so weird. Cause it's, it is very, it is very much a Spielberg movie, even though it's not technically, <laughs> but like it just for sure is. So like it has that like Spielberg touch. But, like, it's still very much, like, a spooky movie. Like, it mm-hmm. is genuinely creepy. And then that turned into, I think that was when, like, my foray actually, like, the popular thing when I was, like, really starting to get heavy into horror movies was Asian, like, rem- like remakes. Like, well, The Grudge was, and The Ring and say, shit. That's probably more your generation, right? Like, yeah, that was... That shit was, like, probably when you were, like, right at the prime age for, for getting into your own horror. Exactly, yeah. That's why uh, I... I think I still I might have a copy of The Grudge or the Ring, but I, I no I have a I have a copy of Pulse, which is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite Asian remake movie. I think that I would like I I haven't gotten around to watching the original, which I've heard is way better. But I I really enjoyed Pulse, but then The Grudge was creep like I watched I rewatched The Grudge. I used to actually have a I used to have my own horror movie podcast, but. Uh, we, we I rewatched The Grudge for that, and I just remember being like, "Wow, this movie sucks." Yeah, it. Uh, I I remember watching The Ring, and and unfortunately, I saw it after everybody had like seen it and hyped it up. Same way with Paranormal Activity. Like mm. somehow, I was late to both of those, and people were were t- saying, you know, uh, that The Ring was like the scariest thing. Like, oh, you know, the phone, if your phone rings, you're going to be terrified of your phone ringing. And it, it changed. Yeah. It was, a, you know, a huge thing. It was, you know, that, The Sixth Sense. Like, there was certain mov- movies you can point out that changed things uh, culturally. Like, in pop culture, it was a huge thing. Um, unfortunately, I saw it after everyone hyped it. And I, I, I didn't, like, think it sucked, but it did not have the same effect on me as everybody else because I went in with expectations. And now I make sure to keep those in check. I'm like, you know, because yep. I've been so impressed by things people said were awful and disappointed in things people said were great. So it's like, go in with a clear mind. Try not to get your hopes up too high. But, uh, no, I, I I remember that wave was a huge thing. And that's one that never really sort of came back, like the the scary girl with the long hair trend that yeah, was that, that was big for a while and it sort of died out and hasn't come back but well because now weirdly enough a lot of asian horror is almost emulating american horror like uh i watched it when because there was uh i can't remember what it, i think it's called the wailing um yeah. oh yeah it, it was so good but it was like i think it came out around the time or maybe a few years after like the witch so when that slow burn stuff really started to become popular yeah and like don't get me wrong i love a good slow burn horror movie like but i remember i the first time i watched the witch i went into it thinking it was gonna be something completely different and i didn't like it at first i actually had to re-watch the the witch in order to appreciate it because by then i'd watched a few more like a24 joints like one of my favorite horror movies of all time now is uh it comes at night like yep that's so I, I I love their I love what they do, but yeah, the wailing was good, and then um, 
Ganjam Haunted Asylum was another one I watched recently, which was by, recently, I mean, like, probably a year ago, but... Right. It was so good. Uh, Gan- if, you, so, if you haven't seen it, uh, I highly recommend Ganjam Haunted Asylum. I haven't seen it. I should have, like, you know, it's funny. Uh, I should have just... And you'll have to come back on here for a yeah. horror one. But, like, we're sitting here talking horror, and the movie we're going to talk about is not. not quite horror, but... Uh, I, um, I guess we can start talking about it. I, I don't really have... Usually, this is where I play a trailer. There's not really a narrative trailer. There's just sort of like this uh, sort of music trailer that sets a mood. So I'll, I'll play it while we sort of talk about uh, or get into the topic. But we're, we're talking about a animated film called It's Such a Beautiful Day. Um, it's written and directed by Don Hertzfeldt, I believe yes, it is. Don Hertzfeldt. Uh, um, this is a movie you suggested after we bounced some ideas back and forth. Uh, this, I mean, the only description I could find that sort of made sense to me was on Rotten Tomatoes, and it says, um, literally, a stick figure named Bill contemplates the meaning of his existence. I thought that sort of summed up the movie pretty well, but yeah, I was like, much. I was like, I watched this one go through, and I, I wanted to rewatch it, but it sort of defeats the purpose of first time. Um, so I was like, what if I get on here and I just have Matt sort of explain it from your point of view? Because you would do a better job. This is this is your pick. This is something that um, you really like. So in your best way, sell it to my audience. So the best way I can describe this movie is so mostly. Uh, yeah, so it is about a stick figure named Bill who is contemplating his existence. However, I think that a good way of putting it is it's he contemplates his existence as he is diagnosed with a degenerative brain illness so he has been faced with mortality and the movie is sort of a look as he thinks about his future and his past sort of interwoven with like storytelling about like people that are people that have existed in his past people that exist in his present and technically people who may or may not exist in his future so there's all these characters that because it's something of an it's i wouldn't necessarily call the movie the movie's narrator an unreliable narrator but bill is an unreliable character because you can never be sure what characters are factual or what are imaginary because it's he's got a degenerative brain illness and he's got delusions and such so it's this movie that basically details the ups and downs, not necessarily, well, the, I wouldn't necessarily call them ups, but just the varying levels of your thoughts as you are faced with your mortality put into just this really beautiful, tragic, somber, but like somehow uplifting feature film. It's, it's my favorite. It's one of, it's, I would, it's my number one favorite movie, I, I think. Like, I can't really think of anything that I would, I I I I don't think there's been a movie I've watched more times than this movie. Yeah, I don't. I can't recall. Like usually, when I see something for the first time, I'm like, oh, it's sort of in the vein of this or that. This this out of seventy, I think this is seventy six episodes. Like this might be the most unique movie I've had on this show so far. Um, there's been some like um, Little Fish that I had probably five or maybe ten episodes ago that um, was about sort of a similar topic in a way but it was you know live action and it was a narrative that followed from beginning to end um this is mostly 
if I had to sell it after one watch, I would say, you know, and after reading a bit about it, it's a, it, it is a feature. It's, it's about an hour long, but it's a very rudimentary, rudimentary, like very um, simplistic animated film on the surface, but it digs deep into the psyche of this character. And we're hearing his like internal thoughts. So, we're we're not like you said we're not sure if we're hearing the truth or what he believes is the truth or what he's making up as a narrator and uh eventually the narrator breaks the third wall and we you know it's not necessarily always bill that's narrating but it's just it it really is i mean it's such a beautiful day but it, it is a beautiful film about the human mind about how um people deal with their thoughts right when it kicked off i was like okay i'm into this like the the way he's <laughs> he's just interacting and and we all have those thoughts like it was like instantly relatable where he's like just observing things on the street and talk and thinking you know we're, we're hearing sort of what he's thinking about things and, and he's narrating his day and it's like this is sort of how i think out loud in my head but i don't normally you know things i never say and it's just and then it sort of gets as we we go further along and get to know Bill better, it's uh it starts getting a little more grim, but we learn a little bit more about him, and it just sort of follows in three chapters, and these it's like three shorts um sort of melded together into one feature film, and it not just uses the stick figures and and rudimentary animation, but also uses photography and some actual um like film footage um to sort of illustrate where his mind is at the time, what's happening in his life. Uh, and, and the narration is really fantastic, which I also think is done by Don, who's the writer and yep. director. Um, so this is like on the surface, you know, right when I saw it, I was like, Oh, you know, this is genius because it's about as simple as simply made as you can get it. But then I realized, you know, shot on 35 millimeter and it's all in camera and it's um, actually not as easy as it looks. It's like, it's actually probably really tough to animate to make it look as simplistic as it is. But, um, I was usually for the show. It's like, I, I will write, you know, like this happens and that happens and this scene and that scene. And it's like, after watching this once going through this sort of roller coaster of a ride, I'm like, I don't even know where to go with it. You know, it's like, I, I didn't take notes because I was invested in it, but also like, like you said, you're sort of just along for the ride and you're not really sure what's real, what's not. And and there's some parts in there that, that were highlights to me that was like, oh, like the the moment that was almost heartbreaking to me is like when he comes back to his house and he has groceries and he looks yeah. around and there's more gro- and there's already a ton of groceries. And it's like it was right after his doctor said he was like if I didn't know your health history, I would think you're, you're absolutely okay and give you a clean bill of health. And then he goes home and it's like, you're almost hopeful for him there. And then he goes home and he's like, and there's more groceries there. And it's like, Oh no, he's, he's even worse off than before. Um, and so it's like heartbreaking, but at times, like you said, uplifting. And I mean, we all go through shit, you know, our own shit that we don't talk about a lot. And luckily we're in a time where it's, getting more okay to talk about mental health and, and what's going on. But I was, I was like watching this and I'm like trying to figure out, you know, is this um, an allegory for something? Is this like, you know, uh, is he trying to say more than what I'm seeing because I'm an idiot and I'm missing something. Um, But like, what makes uh, it such a beautiful day? Like, why is this one your favorite movie? 
I think it was probably the first, like, film that I would like if I were to like like cause, like movies versus film. If that's like a like that debate is sort of no, I nuanced. absolutely know what you're saying. Yeah, but like, I mean, I'd I I watched movies that were just for entertainment, and then like this was the first like art film I think that I'd ever watched. Like, uh, I remember. So this is the same. Did you ever watch like it was a popular YouTube video, the uh, rejected cartoons? No. Uh so it's the. It's this YouTube video. Uh, so this Don Hertzfeld guy, he had this uh, uh, YouTube short called uh, Rejected Cartoons. It was basically he got commissioned to make uh, cartoons for like brands or whatever. And these re- and they were all rejected. But it's just basically just like really goofy thing where like people it was just like, a, you know, is that like LOL so random era of the Internet? So like there was like a scene where it's like this dude's holding this giant spoon. He's like, my spoon is too big. And then a banana walks on screen it's like i'm a banana and i was like this guy's <laughs> hilarious so i looked into him and found that he so he actually uh so it is as you said before it's three parts and he released the first part that like 15 minute thing uh about like where he's in the hospital and then, like it ends when he's on the bus and that was the first thing that he put on youtube and i just remember being like blown away because it was just it, it it felt so profound like i think that it was released in like uh, let me, uh, I, I don't know what year it was, but I was, that was when I was like really starting to think about life. I think I was like maybe 16, 17. Like that was Two, when like 2006, it's 2006. So I would have been 13. So maybe not quite there. So yeah, I was like 13 or so. So like just sort of starting to be a person in a sense almost. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just remember watching this and being like, holy, like just. Like what am I what am I watching? Like this is this is unlike anything I'd ever seen before, and it's something that I pick up and I watch like two or three times a year just because it's 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 almost like a a reminder of like to just in, like weirdly enough it, it it makes me slow down I guess like because there's that scene where he's like rubbing his carpet and he's like and he's like the his curtains are gorgeous like all these things that he's saying, like the tree outside is beautiful. It's carpet is beautiful. All these like small things that you in life that you take for granted as just sort of being there. And then when you really look at them, you're like, Oh, that, that is kind of really neat. Like the wood grain on my desk. Like I'm mm-hmm. looking at it right now and it's like, that's really cool. Like, and I, I could, you know, you know, not think about that at all. So when I watched this movie and I saw just the artistry of it, it, it resonated with me more than, you know, the garbage that I had seen before. Because that was when, like, you know, that was prime horror schlock, like, slasher movies. Like, not that those are not artistic, but just not thought-provokingly artistic, I guess, in the right. same sense. And I've I've mentioned, like, those moments on, on this show almost, like, it feels like every episode. I, I My guests or my uh, audience are probably sick of me here talking about it. But it's, like, I remember, like, specific moments, like, when my brother showed me um, Harmony Kareen and, and Larry Clark's kids that, like, <laughs> totally totally changed my mind on like not that wasn't even necessarily like a moment of movies it was like life it was like you know oh there's like people that live like this like this is a glimpse into like what kids can like live like in bigger cities um and then uh wrecking for a dream like totally mm. wrecked me and then like later in life when i was you know a uh, uh, mopey uh emo kid like donnie darko was like yeah oh shit like you know the most relatable movie ever i wanted to be donnie you know it's just the coolest thing ever uh and so it's like you know that's probably very similar to how you've you know like this is probably a little more deep than that because it's not like i was like 
a teenager going, man, like it makes me stop and think about time travel, but it sort of made me stop and think about like, you know, what would I do in life if, if you know, I knew that like one thing I changed about my life would affect everybody down the road. Like if I could save everybody by doing sacrificing myself one thing, you know, and yep. th- this, uh, you know, it's just, it's interesting because my friends, um, Abe and Brett, and they're on the Brett and Tony with Ash and A podcast. Uh, they somehow find their way into like almost every episode, whether it's sending in a recording or they've been guests recently. Um, but it's funny because they saw this movie pop up on my letterbox and they messaged me, Abe and Brett did. And they're like, why did you watch this? We got to know, are you doing an episode on it? And I'm like, yeah, why? And Abe was like, I picked it and I love that movie. And Brett was like, that movie sucks. And I was like, that's interesting that you guys had two polar opposite um, thoughts on it, but it's something I had never, I'd never even heard of this until you brought it up as a, as an idea. And usually I'm, I'm sort of on top of this type of stuff. This seems like a tad movie through and through. How did you, like you said, you discovered this through the YouTube thing and then he released these shorts and then eventually the third short, um, which is, it's such a beautiful day. Um, after he released that, he put them together as this one, uh, sort of flawless, uh, etched together, uh, narrative film. Uh, very interesting. You know, like you said, t- 2006, it looked like it was, uh, was released and it won the 2007 Sundance film festival grand prize for short film. The first part, which is everything will be okay. And then he put out the second installment. I am so proud of you in 2008. And then the third one, which is, it's such a beautiful day. Uh, was in 2011 and then 2012 we got the uh, entire trilogy put together as one film so it's interesting I didn't know I when I do this podcast I go in completely blind I didn't watch any trailers all I saw was a thumbnail when I went to rent this from Vimeo Um, so I didn't know anything going in and uh, I knew it was animated and it was an hour long that's all I knew and so (laughs) I watched this and then I go back and find out that they were done like years apart I was like I never would have guessed Oh yeah, no, I think I definitely like looking back. I definitely, I think it it probably was more like you said that 2012 it came together. I think it was like probably 2011, 2012 when it was released as the thing. Because I remember like I saw like it was it was just like every like weirdly enough like I've just kind of like happened to cross this this dude's stuff like at the moment that it's like becoming a thing. So like this was released like as a DVD like when I was like, I think I, I think I was like 17. So I, I don't think I was 13 when I first ran across it, but I definitely had seen some of his stuff previously. Cause that rejected cartoons. I, I definitely was like 14, 15. And then this came out, you know, years later and I was just mind blown. And then funny enough. Uh, so he has a new uh, thing. He's got three episodes of this uh, thing that he did called the world of tomorrow. And he had a Kickstarter for, like his blu-ray edition of the first three episodes of world of tomorrow and if you paid it was like 120 bucks you got the blu-ray and then a signed slide of something from uh, uh from it's such a beautiful day so i have like literally above my computer uh the scene where it's like shoot like shooting stars mm-hmm. it's like i've got his signature and a slide of bill standing in the moonlight while like shooting stars are like falling that's really cool. That's probably like one of the coolest scenes to have on the actual film. Yeah, I was stoked. Like, cause and it, and it was like it was like the last. It was like one of the last five people to get that reward on Kickstarter. Very cool. Like, my friend just sent it to me, and I like I did. I I think I had like 
$400 when I bought it too. Cause I was like, I don't care if this is going to make me like extra broke. Like this will mean so much more to me than having whatever money at that time. And I agree. Like I'm fine now. So yeah, it clearly worked out, but yeah, yeah like came out on the other side of it. Yeah. So I just, so yeah, but yeah, I think, it, I think I was probably about 17. So I think that makes more sense why it just like hit. Cause I was like on my way to college and like, there was just so much going on. And I think I'd like, I think the coolest or like the most profound thing I'd seen up to that point was like maybe American beauty. Mm-hmm. And I loved, like I loved American beauty. Kevin Spacey kind of had to, I had to remove it from my top <laughs> five favorite movies list. Fucking and Kevin Spacey. Yeah. That it, it like, it sucks. Cause like it's, it was, I, and my parents were like, they did not understand why I liked that movie. And realistically, like at 17, it didn't make all that much sense why I liked it as much as I did. But I loved that movie. I mean, I still think it is a good movie. It's just it's marred by Kevin Spacey. But I, I also loved Donnie Darko. My friend actually got me the uh, a 4K a director's cut and theatrical release like box set of Donnie Darko, which I discovered uh, the theatrical cut of Donnie Darko is better than the director's cut, which is a rarity. Yep. One of the few, yeah. It's because they i knew it was going to be weird when they changed the opening music and the opening music to donnie darko is like to me so iconic right it's jarring to watch it yeah the other way it's it was super strange i was like actually really afraid that they were also not going to include mad world and i was like if they don't have mad world i won't even like this movie (laughs) this time around there's even like, like yeah not to make it a donnie darko podcast but there's also like on i don't i assume it's on the arrow 4k disc too i just i have that too i haven't yeah. really cracked it open but there's on the old dvd there was a commentary from um kelly and uh kevin smith and i'm like kevin smith seems like the last guy i want to hear talking about uh, donnie darko <laughs> i love kevin smith like don't get me wrong for sure but i don't want to hear a guy like a, a stoner who makes like you know bl- like blowjob and dick jokes uh talk about you know time travel and uh it, i mean it's good for one listen just because i was curious and i'm like i really wonder wonder what the fuck why they have kevin smith on here and he's pretty good at observing and talking about films but it's like you know why, why out of all people did you did they pick him to sit in with richard kelly and talk about this and talk about two different you know two different minds one that's almost childlike and then uh richard kelly who's very smart and and intellect and you know i don't know just it, very uh contrasting but i think that works for one listen i just Sorry, I just I, I don't want to get like too distracted by uh, Donnie Darko, but I, I could do a whole podcast. On it. I've actually been trying to find uh, someone who hasn't seen it to do the do an episode of this, so I could blab about it for two hours. Yeah, it's it, I just feel like Donnie Darko is like it, that's going to be a hard one because for some reason it does feel like mandatory watching for like almost every teenager. Like it just it's it's I feel like the movie has such a good iconic cult stat. Like it's it's massively huge for something that i from what i understand didn't have a fantastic like release no but it again. Was, yeah very small indie release that did not do well to box office but it was that is that perfect timing where like you know dvds were selling like hotcakes and movies would have a second life at home video um now oh, it's yeah. like movies and tv show have a second life for uh streaming but like back then i remember my brother got a dvd and we watched it and it was like oh this is this is like mind-blowing this is made for me and you know i was lucky enough to play it at the theater for it's like 
15th or 20th i think it's 15th anniversary and uh it's just seeing it on the big screen like remastered it was just like you know i was like if nothing no if i if i die tomorrow like at least i can say i got to you know book donnie darko at my theater and see it in the big yeah, screen with exactly my friends and stuff but like this this would be really cool this it, this one like through and through it's, a, it's such a beautiful day like right away when watching this i'm like oh i, I can it's funny enough looking back and, and i didn't realize it was three shorts but i'm like this seems like something i would play or see at a film festival makes sense very uh artsy and cool and just you know i don't know i i I will call out brett royer and say you're wrong that he said this movie (laughs) i think he said it blew i'm like well you know incorrect yeah incorrect or you know if he meant it in a positive way you know yeah he's right but uh yeah this i I, like it's it's one of those things where like i'll like i'll quote it and like no one will know what the fuck i'm talking about and it's just it'll, it'll just be like just for me like i was at the grocery store and like, like I just I'll, I'll I'll think about it to myself. Like no matter what, when I pass the onions at High V or something like that, I'll just think of myself to the part of the movie where he's like, a man smelled like gasoline, picked up an onion, and said, "Big onion" to nobody in particular. And I think about that scene <laughs> every time I look at the onions. Like it's just there are so there's like so many little just witticisms throughout this movie that like just it they, they just stick with me and like. And not to get like too deep, and I'll just like brief, but like somebody who struggles with mental illness to like see, like the pers- like the, like, through the eyes of like this narrator with like a, like a intense mental illness and just like these struggles and like, the family stuff that he goes through and just all these random things and just like how much, like, goes on that you don't really think about like like the fact that he stays friends with his ex-girlfriend and she visits him in the hospital and like the, you know his mom like sticks with him and the the part where it's like his uncle thought he was gonna die and like was annoyed that he wasn't just like all these little pieces of life that are so real that aren't as easily captured by like the show don't tell of a lot of movies whereas this is like it's almost all tell like it's exactly a, it's a it's a it's like a narrative poetry piece with stuff to look at Right. It's the things that, yeah, exactly. I, I think I'd have a hard time saying it better than you, but yeah, exactly sort of what my feeling was is like, we're, we're like, there's a few movies that do it, but it's not, not quite as deep as this, where it's like, literally, we're not seeing anything from the outside in. We're seeing it from the inside out. Like we're literally traveling along with him. We're, we're on this ride with him to the point where even like we question what's real and what's not when it's happening. Cause it's like, we, we still, we are not him, but we're looking at it through his lens. And, you know, I, I think at first it was a little more, and, and this is how good the movie is, is that at first it's like, like you said, these little things that he points out, he, he's just observing little things in life that we all do all the time. Um, that, you know, most things, most movies just sort of blow over. But, um, as the movie progresses, those little things, um, become fewer and fewer because he, his mental health is deteriorating and now it's bigger things, um, you know, that are, and we're, we're sort of seeing jumps in time. Um, and I was, I was trying to figure out like what exactly, I mean, they, they don't necessarily say it, but I don't know exactly. And, and it might not even matter um, what exactly like his, his mental illness might be. Like, I don't know if it was like, it's not quite Alzheimer's is his, memory's off he just has like lapses in memory he forgets things but it seemed like more than just something simple like that you know 
Yeah, it's almost like a schizophrenia in a sense because he also right. like like he has visions of demons and stuff like that, and and then it goes and then they go into that like the, like the the history of mental illness in his family that at the time like because it goes into like the shorts go into like the you know his like gr- like great grandparents and stuff like that and like great aunts and stuff like that who all seem to suffer from like similar mental illnesses and at the time like they don't have these doctors so they like and it's it's so it, it's such a weird movie because it's these in, like intensely serious topics but done like sometimes so hilariously like uh like one of the scenes where it's like uh she died of yellow fever and being hit by a train like just <laughs> just it's there's there's such an uh, undercurrent of humor through the whole thing to kind of keep it from being just such a bummer right like it's it's there yeah there's just there's i think that's what i like about it is it's it's intensely hilarious but at the same time like like it's uh, there's a there's so few movies where like where at one minute i'm like like i'm like belly laughing almost and then the next like three minutes later i'm like tearing up like it's the the roller coaster of emotions is done so expertly and i think that's why i I just really appreciate this movie so much because it's I like there's so few movies where they just I can like I don't get as deep of an emotional like pull from right it's uh I mean it's sort of just how I mean a lot of us uh deal with trauma and and tragedy and and dark serious things I'm very guilty of it um especially when I probably shouldn't um with humor you know it's like how do I block things out or get over things or, or sort of cope with, uh, you know, very serious or, or tragic things is usually humor. And, uh, this movie, the, the way this is written and narrated is sort of remind me of that where it's like, you know, a very, it could be a very serious topic and it's not making light of anything, but it's like, you know, having a dark, darkly funny twist to it. Oh yeah. And like, that's, funny enough like that's kind of what i try to do with my comedy is i like on like on stage like i'll talk a a lot about a lot of gross stuff and then like every once in a while i'll just like sneak in some like super dark joke like it's still funny but it's that's kind of what i i I love dark humor and i wouldn't necessarily even consider this dark humor so much as it's just it's a it's a humorous interpretation of like again just you know deep thoughts like the the like i mean it's pretty much established like the you know pretty early on that he's facing death like he has a like a like a essentially a degenerative brain illness that they can't identify and he's dying but the whole time like the narrator is making jokes and like it's just intensely funny at times and yeah it's 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 a movie that i show so many people just because i'm like a it's like it's not particularly well known it was on netflix for like a hot minute but like it's it was it never got like mainstream fame like so it's it's just it's one of those things where I'm like this yeah I don't know I just I really don't I just I I I mean I can't think of any other movie that I watch more than once like more than once a year like I I, I definitely I'd say like I'm good for two or three times a year on this movie when I was uh searching for it the director uh Don actually like tweeted a promo code you could use on vimeo during um like right when the lockdown happened and people were stuck at home for like several months you could just he was letting people go on vimeo and watch it for free because he you know was like 
we're all going through some shit like enjoy this and hopefully it you know doesn't bum you out more hopefully it can like you know bring you a little bit of joy into your world and i'm like after i, I saw that after i i watched it and i'm like i don't know how it would have felt but it's like yeah. you know <laughs> I, I, I was pretty lucky in that you know i i, I have a rad wife and you know uh quarantine wasn't all that different from my normal life it was like sort of a, a way to slow me down and and uh you know, focus, like sit down and focus on a few other projects, but it's like, I don't know, there's a lot of lonely people at that time. And I don't know if this would have helped them or hurt them, but, um, you know, it is a beautiful film. And, and like you said, it's strangely uplifting for such a sad movie. And maybe it's just because I think people see it and they're like, okay, I'm not alone. And I can, I can sort of relate to this and the way he's handling it, you know, and it's, it's like you said, a, a more humorous look at something that's very serious. Yeah, it's 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 definitely like, it's definitely one of those movies that I wouldn't rec- like I I recommend it to anybody that I think could a appreciate it and b wouldn't be completely like bummed out by it cuz I definitely it is it is a heavy movie like by all means of things cuz it's it, it but it's it's heavy with the like I said, the the underlying level of comedy really keeps it from being just like this giant weight of a bummer of a movie. But like a lot of the stuff that it touches on are really you know it's thought provoking in a sense. Like when when it's when it's, uh, he and his ex girlfriend are you know, walking in the park and she's like, oh you know, I know I want to be buried or whatever I think she says, and then he says I want to have my head severed and put in front of a in a you know sent off in a rocket ship like right just and she didn't like the idea of his head floating above her in space and always watching exactly and then it has that like later in the movie that clip of his like head facing out a window like on a rocket ship it's like Mm -hmm. it's like it's funny but at the same time you're thinking about like oh man like that is kind of a beautifully morbid thought to like yeah i want my severed head facing out into the abyss on a rocket like just like because it may it may it it makes you face your own death in a weird sense like that where it's like oh man like what like what do i want to happen to my body when i'm dead like i never like i was 17 and i was like oh shit i've never thought about that before like well i mean yeah it made me think instantly of uh my wife how she's like just throw me in a dumpster um (laughs) but you can still have like uh not like a funeral but like um what i don't even know visitation visitation and she's like and i want you to blast jock jams and i'm like (laughs) right on and it's like you know it's instantly was relatable where i'm like you know people i know people who were like i want a viking funeral i want you know to this or that to happen and it's like you know it's it's little conversations that we have with the people closest to us um that you would never necessarily have that conversation with a like a big group of friends especially with people in, in that group that you're not comfortable with but it's yeah. like you know we're, we're getting this little window of we're it's like such an intimate look at his life that we're not only seeing his thoughts but you know, just little, little things, like you said, uh, that they sort of just pass over in normal movies. Cause they have to keep the narrative going for like an hour and a half, two hour movie where this is focuses on that, which I just think is so interesting. And it's, it also makes for an interesting episode. Cause I've never really done one at all like this, where usually I'm like, okay, here's, you know, here's the story of the movie. And, and at this point, you know, we, we always have a beginning, a middle of the third act and the end. And it's like, you know, I was like, this will be an interesting conversation with this episode, but uh, I do have quite a bit of trivia that I pulled from IMDb, all of which I'm (laughs) sure you already know, but um, let's take a real quick break and hear from the prescribed film podcast network. And then we'll be right back. 
You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So I was pretty surprised by how much trivia is on this. It's always hit or miss on IMDb. And as I always tell people, um, I think this this one's pretty safe. But a lot of times I have to tell people, take it with a grain of salt, because who knows where this, this stuff's coming from. But for an hour-long movie, um, I was surprised by how much is on here. So uh, this was shot on 35 millimeter. All of the visuals for the film were captured in camera with experimental optical effects and trick photography. So... It's, it's hard to even explain as technically an animated movie. Like if I, I always think of terms of like, if, if this was submitted to my film festival, it would uh, fall under animation, but it also has actual photography and um, you know, not just still, but actual uh, videos and, and stuff in it, but it's just so unique, you know? And I always wonder that too. Like I, I that's why I always have actual animators judge the animated shorts at snake alley festival film, because, um, I know that I can be swayed by um, really good animation, if even if it's a crappy story. Or I'm like, what is good animation? And I imagine that like my judges would probably absolutely love something like this, even though it looks really simple. So to hear how it was done is interesting. Oh yeah, when I found like when I found out that it was shot on 35 millimeter, I honestly like didn't believe it at first because I was like, there's no way, but. There's like, a, I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of the bonus features, because I own this on hard copy, I'm pretty sure, I haven't watched it in a while, but I'm, I think that there's, yeah, there's an interview where he, it shows like a little bit of him like working on it, and it's just like, wow, and then uh, I think when I was uh, doing his like Kickstarter campaign thing, he would like send email updates, and I think he like, in one of them, he had a photo of the camera that he shot it on and i was like that's just it's such a it was like a such a cool thing for me to see because i was like there it is like that's that's the thing that shot like my all-time favorite movie yeah it's it's always fascinating for me to see the behind the scenes stuff like um my uh niece got really into like the like like a studio stuff like paranorman and kubo mm. and Coraline and all that stuff and so i showed her like sto- showing her the special features where they how they do to stop motion and they do like the super fast fast forward through like them posing the, you know, the character and taking a picture, taking a picture and like just how stop motion is done. And it's just like mind blowing to her. And it's just like, this is almost better than the movie, like watching how it's made. So uh, something like this, you know, the way it's done on 35 millimeter, I think most people who are interested in film, who would probably be the audience for this um, can really appreciate that. But I think, until you actually like see how it's done um, with, like I said, actual in camera special effects and optical effects, the way it's done is like not, you know, he didn't load into computer and add that shit. Like this was all done right there on the film. Yeah. It's, it's buck wild. (laughs) Uh, Don's previous work, the meaning of life took substantially longer to animate. It's such a beautiful day. was made in a short time by not rough, by not roughing drawings or inking them instead 
just photographing pencils. The sped up workflow allowed for, but also necessitated more experimentation with the camera. So process was shorter because he did, I guess essentially did less planning on the actual animation. But I think uh, that sort of adds to the manic um, sort of tone of this feature, like the way the character, what the character's going through. I think the, the uh, sort of rough, animation style actually fits it very well oh yeah no i think that's it definitely adds to the charm that it is this stick figure guy like it's not it's not trying to be like it's flashy but it's not like it's it's beautiful cinematography without being like this flashy thing like it's it's a stick figure and all the stuff that's going on around it is like just, just there's so much subtle beauty and i think that's i think it's intentional to like the theme of the film is like there's subtle beauty in everything right and and this is going to be a another dumb comparison but it made me just reading about that and just sort of saying that makes me think of like kevin smith with the first clerks where it's like black and white and it's really rough and some of the performances are are not great but it's like it was never intended to like look beautiful it's it's a it's that screenplay of clerks that made it you know and it's like it's the story itself that's the star of that movie. And, you know, his budget is like, oh, it's cheaper to do black and white and it's, you know, easier. And, and I can just hire my friends and do this sort of like a happy accident came together in that sense. But it's like the, like you said, the, the sort of juxt the, the, the contrast of like the beauty and the stick figure in this um, really just sort of makes this work together. Oh yeah. Uh, this film is in the official top 250 narrative feature films on Letterboxd. Um, and it shares the same title as the final short in its trilogy. So that's pretty good. Uh, do you have Letterboxd, I assume? I do not, actually. It's one of the, my favorite apps. It's basically like a way to log everything you watch and people leave reviews and you can share with your friends and make lists. And um, I highly recommend it. I, that's sort of where I, I uh, put my list of like, movies I want to watch, movies I'd love to talk about, um, share movies with friends. And, and exactly when I logged this one the other day, I had people reach out and they're like, you know, why why do you watch this? They wanted to know right away. Like, you tune an episode, it's like sort of predictable now. It's like if I'm watching a movie, I'm going to be talking about it on one podcast <laughs> or the other. But uh, don't get to just watch them to enjoy them much anymore. But uh, around the 12.52 minute mark, a strange bird utters the phrase, the power of Christ compels you. If you're a film fan, you know this is from The Exorcist, and it is addressed to the possessed girl in order to remove the demon inside her. So um, we're talking about horror, and here's a horror reference right in this one. Oh, yeah. No, it's... There's... Yeah, there's... Uh, one of the one of my favorite lines that's, like, related to birds is when he's like, uh, outside, horribly deformed birds checked their voicemail. And one of the one of them is like, uh, I am made nervous by a clone. Like just these weird little lines that almost go unnoticed, but definitely have like, just like almost like I get this like subtle horror vibes. Like the birds are all fucked up looking, and then the uh, just the cloning like, cause, uh, he goes so. Uh, the I think the I am made nervous by a clone is almost like a foreshadowing to his later work, cause uh, uh the world of tomorrow gets into the idea of cloning and it really makes you think about like 
how wild the idea of cloning is. So I think that he either ha- already knew that he wanted to like go and like speak about clones, or yeah, it just it's just one of those little like it's it's a line that I picked up on this time around, and I was like, oh no shit! Like he mentioned clones in this, and then he has a whole three episode like series now that involves heavily the themes of cloning. And where can you watch that? Is that was that the thing you're talking about on Kickstarter? Yeah, so there, I think you can still buy it. Uh, but yeah, it's on Blu-ray. You can buy that. Um, I know that the first one, it was a, like a 20-minute short, was on Netflix for a while there when he had a good kick where people were like seeming to vibe with him and then just his stuff completely disappeared off of most streaming services. Luckily, I know, like I rented this. I'm sure those are probably on Vimeo too. That seems to be like a good home for people... Uh, like indie filmmakers because they can put it up there and charge people like five bucks to rent stuff and uh it goes directly to them so it's like you know it's not going i, I mean they, they make like nothing when it goes to netflix so uh you know i i always support vimeo if i can yeah, let's see it looks like is it on amazon here is it going to tell me that it's not available in my location of course yeah that seems to happen a lot uh yeah another uh Another 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Very cool. Uh, th- we talked a little bit about this, um, but I just wanted to reiterate it. The three chapters of the film were originally produced and released independently as three animated short films captured entirely on 35mm film with in-camera special effects. The first installment, Everything Will Be Okay, was released in 2006 and won the 2007 Sundance Film Festival Grand Prize for short film, which is huge. Um, the second installment, I Am So Proud of You, was released in 2008, and the third and final chapter of the trilogy, It's Such a Beautiful Day, shares the same name as the feature-length movie and was, re- was released in 2011 to similar acclaim, including the Audience Award from the Ottawa International Animation Festival. So, uh, lots of great awards, well-deserved, doesn't surprise me. Oh yeah, no, he's... Yeah, it's some, like weirdly enough, uh, I actually didn't know too much about Sundance until I found out that he won a Sundance award. Like I just didn't know. Like I never really watched like award-winning films. I was such a horror buff that, and everyone knows that horror movies for the longest time really weren't critically acclaimed. Still not, you know, unless it's yeah. like uh, the- unless you're uh, Jordan Peele, he seems to be yep. sort of getting that uh, getting that back, which is cool. Him and Ari Aster. Yes. Elevated horror. That's a whole yes. different topic. Uh, <laughs> and the final thing I had on here from uh, IMDb Trivia was the feature film had a limited theatrical run, which is really cool, before becoming available on DVD, Vimeo, iTunes, and Netflix, from which it has now been removed. Um, in 2015, a Blu-ray, which Matt has, of the remastered feature version of It's Such a Beautiful Day was released. I actually don't have the Blu-ray. I've just had the, the OG. Oh, I just have the OG DVD. I release. thought you were a fan. Jeez. <laughs> now nah, I've got the Blu-ray of a beautiful or the World of Tomorrow. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, I guess we should start wrapping it up. We've talked almost uh, an hour and a half about it's such a beautiful. We've talked longer than the movie. Um, yeah, it's true. But you know, that's that's what podcasting's for. Uh, did you have any final thoughts or or notes you wanted to say about it's such a beautiful day before we start wrapping up? Not really, other than I, I can't recommend it enough. I I don't think that I've ever dated anyone and not shown this movie. It's, it's like, required watching for anybody that I've, like, interacted with for the most part. Like, I, I 
because I mean, it's it's my favorite movie, so I I just I like to share it with as many people as I can. Well, that's exactly what you know this podcast sort of started as is like one of my favorite things is when I find somebody who hasn't seen one like one of my favorite movies. I absolutely hate the idea like if I'm talking to you and you're, and someone says, you know, I've never seen the Godfather and everybody goes, Oh my God, how have you never seen? Oh my God. Like they yes. freak out. I'm like, dude, that means you get to show them the Godfather. And, and you know, how exciting is it that you get to share this with me and all your friends? Like, and we get to sit and talk about it. Like that's one of my favorite things. So I was like, this should be a podcast. And so this fits perfectly. Like this is one of those movies that I never would have probably come across if I didn't just reach out to you and say, Hey, want to come on the podcast? And, you know, this will probably be something I pass on to other people, uh, you know, that I think it would it would uh, benefit and, and that they would enjoy. And I'll, I'll make sure to put a uh, link in the show notes, not only to, you know, this and your podcast and everything, but what, but um, just let my my listeners know where they can listen to your podcast. And, and maybe um, if you have anything else you want to plug, if you have any shows in the area coming up or anything, this, the floor is yours. Yeah. So uh I know that we are on CastBox because that's what I used to listen to it because I listen to my own podcast because otherwise I would never improve. But uh, mostly you can find our stuff on punandgame.com. It's my buddy Wade's host site. And there's a bunch of other cool stuff on there. So I just I always like to uh, hype up Pun and Game because, you know, it's local comics, you know, want to support each other. And there's a bunch of really funny stuff on there. So check out punandgame.com. It's myself and Mr. Jeff Lynch. Uh, it drops generally every Tuesday. Uh, we're kind of getting bad about keeping on track. So that's kind of a give or take if it actually comes out on Tuesday, but generally uh, we've been dropping it at uh, every Tuesday. So check out punninggame.com is the a guaranteed way to find it. I think that we're on Spotify, but you may need to find it through punninggame.com. Uh, so generally uh, if you're going to try to find us, if you can't find us at the empty parlor, uh, look up punninggame.com wherever you're getting your podcast and we should come up. Excellent. So, uh, I mean, you, you got the plug down perfectly. Um, if, if you're ever in the Midwest, uh, you know, try to find Matt on a open, open stage or open mic. Um, or, you know, it seems like, uh, Des Moines slowly getting back into doing shows again. And, and, you know, I, I know people don't listen to this right when it drops sometimes. So, um, I feel like, you know, anytime people want to come see some comedy, just, just look up Matt Lamb, yeah. like, like the animal and, uh. Yeah. You'll you'll find them. Are are you on uh, the IG and Twitter? You want people following you on there? You don't have to tell people if you don't. Yeah, want to. so I'm I'm lamb like the animal on pretty much most social medias. Uh, on Twitter, it's lamb like the animal, but animal is a A N M L because there wasn't enough room. So it's <laughs> uh, lamb like the animal is my Instagram as well. Uh, yes, but yeah, like Ted said, if you can't find if uh if you're looking for something to do around Des Moines, even if I'm not on the shows, I can absolutely point you to. There's always something going on. I, I don't think there's been a weekend in the one without a shows because we have our own little slice of heaven. Uh, we ha uh, A buddy of ours opened up a comedy club that he owns himself. So there's a comedy club that is completely, uh, almost entirely Des Moines local comedians. Uh, sometimes, you know, comedians will come through town, uh, like bigger names will come through and do stuff there. So it's generally speaking, it's Des Moines comedy. But otherwise, if it's not Des Moines comedy, it is also very good comedy that's passing through town. So uh if you're ever looking for something to do in Des Moines, you want to see some stand-up comedy, I can absolutely point you to the best underground and comedy, hands down. And I'll say, you, you need to get better at pushing your own podcast, because uh, I think you've, you've mentioned it like <laughs> twice on Facebook, and, and I think you, yeah. you push it more on, on Twitter and stuff, but I'm like, you know, I, I listen to it, and, and I know that, you know, if, if you follow one, it, it tells you every time a new episode drops, but I'm like... 
man, he doesn't even he hasn't even posted since like last year about his show, you know. And I'm like, come on, it's a good show. You should be you should be posting more about it. So, uh, you know, get over there, give it a listen, go see him do some some stand up. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. It's great talking. I'll have to have you back on as we. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Got to pick something horror. Got to pick something yes. good in horror because I, I wasn't yeah. aware how like deep into it you were. You, you know your shit. So. Yeah. Um, no, I'm a definitely. I uh, like that. It's uh, you mentioned. Uh, you know, Bill Wright. Like he, he and I were huge horror nuts. So anytime that we find like uh, yeah. Any anytime that we find something that the other hasn't seen, we always shoot each other's. Uh, you know, we always shoot each other like, hey, you need to watch this right now. Like uh. I think I'm probably going to have to hit him up. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it also. It's uh, Archive 81. That's my current watch list. <laughs> if anybody's looking for a recommendation, Archive 81 is very good. I've seen that popping up on people's uh, on the letterboxd. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good. I, if you haven't watched it either, I would check that out. No, I just I, I, I really do appreciate you coming on. And I, I'll always remember um, when Attack of the Killer podcast was in Des Moines. We did a live show at a now closed comic shop, and you were like one of the five people that showed up to watch <laughs> us. Of course. And so I'll always be, you know, a supporter of yours because I'll, I'll never forget that. And it was just so cool and, and nice of you. And, um, you know, I, I think you, you can appreciate what it's like to, to be performing in front of no audience. So it's like anybody who comes and sees us, we, we have performed to completely, we've done podcasts in empty rooms um, before. But, uh, you know, it's just like seeing a familiar face in the crowd just makes it so much better. So uh, I appreciate everything you do and, and always will support you doing stand up and everything you do. And just think it's awesome to see you uh, doing what you're doing, man. I, I'm so jealous of Des Moines comedy scene and music <laughs> scene. And, and hopefully, you know, shit gets better sometime soon. And, you know, things can start getting back to where they were two years ago. Absolutely. Yeah, very much. Thank you very much for having me on. i I I will talk movies any day, every day. I'm a. I was gonna say, I've, don't yeah. say that because I'll actually have you on every day, all day. But uh, <laughs> you're just I wouldn't. You're just now the co-host of the show, <laughs> dude. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even. I would not even <laughs> say no. I I love movies, so. All right. Well, thanks so much, Matt. Have a good night. You as well. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast.